Hi, I'm Mac. Hi, I'm Abigail. And this is Unsubs. This is the podcast where we recap, rate, and review all 324 episodes of Criminal Minds. And today we're talking season four, episode 23, Roadkill. They weren't real literal with this theme. <laughs> they did. I'm just like, ooh, <laughs> yikes. <laughs> also, we're like seven hours into your unsubs day experience because you've been (laughs) doing this for a minute marathoning all these episodes and um then recording three episodes at once as we as we do i i can't wait to like be done recording and then just not think about it for a bit and just have a little bit of a change of pace like i love doing this and i enjoy the show but like all day uh, all day it's a bit much yeah we're trying to like get as many done as possible because i'm going on vacation to and i'm going to yosemite yes and might disappear i might so like we're trying and i was like i won't really be i mean who knows maybe i'll be able to edit but my plan was like I won't be able to record for sure. So my plan was to try to have everything ready to go. So I like, we'd have episodes going through my vacation. So hopefully I've done enough, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah. It's, but it's fine because like I was having kind of a crappy day and this has been a good distraction. So, so it, so it's good. It's good. It's just like, yeah, I know it's a lot. Well, I'll share that my my fun fact, I forget what day it was. I finished editing an episode of the podcast. Then I wrote the recap for actually Roadkill. And then I watched uh, episode 22. So it was like, it was a lot of different mediums of experiencing Criminal Minds. Uh, and that was my Monday. Nice. But <laughs> we, we go hard, y'all. So that's why you should donate to our Kofi. Yeah, or join our Patreon. Exactly. Um, what's your fun fact? Uh, what is my fun fact? Um, oh, so um, I have a really great calendar for 2022. It's goats, and it's black and white portraits of each of a goat for each month. The goat for March, uh, her name is Sydney. And the quote is from Aristotle, so. Oh, what does it say? It is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. Huh, all right. I'm down with it. Well, do you want to share our rating criteria? So our rating criteria is um, each episode has the potential to get 100 points, Based off of five different categories, those category- categories are criminal slash serial killer, character development slash character arcs, forensic slash context, script writing, and background characters. And we are in no way, shape, or form associated with the television show Criminal Minds. 
All right. We're slowly approaching hour eight of Abigail's Criminal Minds Day. So I'm going to get right to it. Um, And because fuck me, we're in the fucking state I can't pronounce. But I did write myself a little note. So I'm going to give it my best shot. Uh, We open in Bend, Oregon. Oregon. I'm sorry. I was Oregon. so proud of myself when I just said it. I was like, Oregon? Oregon. Oh, Oregon. Just pull just pull the, the soundbite of Diggs saying it. It's pronounced Oregon. 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 Not Oregon. 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 It's very easy. Jesus Christ. Also, I, I have not been to Bend, Oregon, but I have known people from there. Well, uh, there's a man smoking a cigarette in a wooded area overlooking a road. And we zoom in closer and see that he's got bloodshot eyes and a creepy stare. And he hallucinates to the sound of, like, car horns blaring. And I wrote, Norman, is that you? Yeah, I was like, has it been long enough since the road rage episode to have potentially another road rage episode? It is not. We haven't had a long enough mourning period. We haven't. And Normal was such a good episode, and this episode is not a great episode. I liked it. You know, it it, it does have a sexy unsub in it. It kept my attention. All right, we'll see how we'll see how it fares. Uh, well, we cut to a parking garage. It's one of those underground parking garages. We see a professional-looking woman walking to her car while on the phone, and she says, "Quote: Well, are you going to tell him or not? If you think you can live with this on your conscience, that's not how it works, sweetie." Well, are you going to tell him or not? If you think you can live with this on your conscience. That's not how it works, sweetie. Yeah, you can put it out of your head. It'll just go to your heart. Well, then it'll go somewhere else. I don't know. Your liver, your pancreas. Why do you think so many people get cancer? That's how it works. That's what guilt does. It makes people sick. To which I say trash. That's not how it works. I mean, having a guilty conscience can make you feel ill, but that's not how you get cancer. And then she, this woman, this dumb, dumb, I actually call her Lady Pancreas. Uh, so Lady Pancreas gets into her red sports car and she pulls out of the parking lot. And we notice that there's some sort of liquid that has leaked underneath her car. We follow Lady Pancreas as she drives down the road and she's still on the phone. And then Lady Pancreas proceeds to lose the call. And also her car stalls. So she gets out of her car, water bottle in hand, and then she pops her trunk. And then it looks like she's like touching something. I don't know. It's weird. Oh, no, it's not. It's her hood. Okay. She pops her hood. She's like touching something in her car. I, I don't know. I'm not a car person. She knows more about cars than I do. She decides she's going to set off on foot. So flip phone in hand, she attempts to get a signal, but she can't get one. And out of nowhere, she senses something. And it's a black pickup truck. And she gets all excited. She waves at the truck, and we cut to the inside of the truck. And it's got tinted windows. 
And the driver puts in a cassette tape and starts slowly driving forward, revving his engine. And at this point, Lady Pancreas realizes what's happening and she starts, she fucking takes off running, but it's too late. The truck driver literally Nick freaking runs her down and kills her. Okay, and this is when I texted, bitch, if you just don't get out of the road, like I again, we're this is a fictional show. We're not victim blaming, but I was like, just cut sideways, get off the road. Like <laughs> The way that physics works, once an object in his motion, it will stay in motion. He's going to have a hard time break. Like, think of it like an active shooter. You zigzag. Oh, my God. We cut to BAU headquarters in Quantico, Virginia. And Kevin, remember Xander Harris from Buffy the Vampire Slayer? He tells Garcia that he's got a job interview with the NSA. Look at you. Did somebody die? Oh, no. BAU yearbook photo? No, I, I have a job interview. Hey, Rockstar, are you up for that systems promotion? No, no, a friend of mine is a headhunter for the NSA. Um, they're looking for analysts first in cyber warfare. <laughs> really? That sounds exciting. Oh, it is. Yeah, the job is totally cutting edge. Yeah, it sounds like it. Are, are you sure you're going to want to make the commute to Fort Maine every day? Uh, <clears throat> actually, it's, a, it's an overseas position. And Kevin is like, move overseas with me. And Garcia is like, you want me to leave the BAU? Cut to JJ presenting a new case to the team. Uh, we learn about the unsub who kills with his car, even though I feel like we've been here, done that already. But I, we're back again. Um, Brittany's back, bitch. Uh, two victims over the last 12 days. We've got Maria Delgado, uh, who was hit while on a morning jog, and the second victim, Shannon Makeley, who was the stranded motorist that that Abigail recommended run in a zigzag pattern. Morgan asks why the local PD thinks that the cases are connected, and JJ tells the team that the unsub first hit the victims and then backed over them to make sure they're dead. Yep. Tire tread marks at both scenes matched. Uh, both victims were attacked in remote areas with no witnesses. And Morgan says, quote, two tons of metal make a hell of a weapon. Cut to the BAU jet. Hey, girl. The team agrees that the unsip is male and they got a little playfully sexist. JJ jokes that she once dated a guy who washed his car more than his hair. And Rossi is like, a nice car needs love. And JJ is like, and a woman doesn't. And Prentice says, I'm just saying, big car, it's phallic. Morgan and Rossi visit the latest crime scene and meet Detective Quinn, a.k.a. Old Detective, or I call him Old Man Quinn in this episode. I'm an old detective. I'm very set in my ways. I don't understand any of this new fandangled psychological mamma jamma. Like, that's what the, the attitude is. So I did call him Old Man Quinn. Rossi is very suspicious of the first crime, or I'm sorry, of the latest crime scene. Quote, what are the odds that she breaks down right here? No phone, no traffic, no witnesses, nowhere to run. I like to catch you off guard with my Rossi impersonation. I I I live for them. You need to let me do some more read. Yes, I do. Okay, you can do the next read quote. 
We later learned that someone punctured Shannon Makeley's water pump, which caused her car to break down. And at the first crime scene, Rossi and Prentice meet with Officer Fetter, and I wrote, a.k.a. Hot Officer. And they go to the first crime scene, and again, it's super secluded and uh, convenient. Basically, the unsub is stalking his victims, and like these are not accidents or like chance encounters. He's specifically planning these out. So we cut to Bend, Oregon, Oregon headquarters, and the BAU meet with old man Quinn and sexy Fetter and discuss how this stalking behavior indicates that the unsub has a personal motive. Cut to an office. We meet Gil Bonner, but it's spelled like kind of like Boner, and he's falling asleep at the job. Gil actually was the man that we saw in the entrance, uh, in the first scene, I should say, dramatically smoking a cigarette. But now he's in an office and his co-worker comes over to him and is all, maybe you want to take an early day. I can smell the booze, man. You're sliding, man. Mistakes, missed deadlines. Is everything okay? Also, can I just share with you that it absolutely sends me when my husband says man to like people in public. Yeah. Because like he doesn't say that to me, but sometimes like a guy will open a door or something or holds it open for him and he'll be like, thanks, man. And I'm like. My ex did that sometimes. and Yeah, it's very like disarming. Yeah. Um, and I just can't like, it's hard for me to keep a straight face because I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, dude, totally, ra- totally radical. Hey, dude, bro, want to share this basic little profile we get? The unsub is proficient with cars. <laughs> <laughs> he has a flexible work schedule or might not be working at all. Stalking someone, getting to know their schedule is a pretty serious time commitment. I think it's not. <laughs> So easy. Okay. Probably has some sort of criminal record. This is a great profile. It's super great. Super thorough. No complaints. No notes. No notes. We cut to uh, a different parking garage. Uh, It's another one of these fucking underground parking garages. Watching a man in scrubs walk to his car. I'm going to call him Scrubs. And it's a red car, and already we're like, wait a minute, didn't Shannon Makeley also have a red car, bro? So Scrubs is going to his red car, and the rear one of the rear taillights has been smashed. So he gets down on his hands and knees to investigate further, and the fucking room room the black truck unsub is right behind this car or i should say it's like directly across from his car in the parking garage black truck starts starts his tape his murder tape uh, gotta put on the tunes and he goes to run scrubs over and he just barely misses him so scrubs takes off in the parking garage and the fucking unsub pursues him and it's fucking terrifying to Scrubs' credit, he 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 had more of a fighting chance than Lady Pancreas could. However, um, there's a point in which Scrubs is like running d- down or up a ramp in the garage. Now, what you should do now is he should just quickly turn around and go the other direction because 
an object in motion stays in motion <laughs> and it's going the cars this truck is going to have a much harder time turning around than a person would so i think he should have doubled back all of a sudden and the driver would have been like oh shit and he would have had more of a fighting chance anyways that's my um how to avoid vehicular manslaughter with abigail <laughs> Scrubs is running up the ramp and he sees an elevator and we're like, oh no. And there, there's a man already in the elevator, but the doors are closing. And it's one of those awkward moments where you're like, I don't know if I should like hold the door or like, just like, you know, like when those, when the doors are almost closed and someone's like, Hey man, hold the elevator. Like, fuck you. But this fucking guy in the elevator is just like staring at this, at scrubs being pursued by the truck. And scrubs is like, hold the elevator. And the guy just stares at him. And then at the last second, like looks like he's going to try to do something, but he doesn't. And the doors shut. He sticks his hand out, but it doesn't stop anything. Nope. And then the fucking truck kill- scrubs gets cornered and the truck just slams into the elevator, killing scrubs. The BAU arrives at the scene and old man Quinn and sexy Fetter are in tow. And we learned that the latest victim is Victor Costella, a podiatrist. It's a reserved spot. Unsub knew where he was going to park, must have gotten here early and picked the spot right across. Somebody might have seen him waiting. Somebody did. Talked to an x-ray tech on the third floor. Noticed a truck when she arrived. And he was inside it? Yeah, but you couldn't see him because of the tent. So how did she know he was inside the truck? She said the window was cracked. Occupant was smoking. And then Rossi finds some cigarette butts and asked Prentice if she ever smoked. And she goes, I used to do a lot of things. And I'm like, word? Oh, yeah, you did. (laughs) And Rossi says, bet you never did this. And... Apparently, the unsub field stripped his cigarettes, which is something they teach soldiers to do to avoid traces in the leaving traces in the field. So the unsub is ex-military. Back at Bend headquarters, Reed has found a connection between the victims. All the victims drove red two-door coupes. And old man Quinn is like, could this be a coincidence? And Reed is like, oh, here you go, Abigail. It's statistically significant. And Hodge points out that it that the unsub is specifically targeting people in red cars. So apparently all three victims utilized Route 7 on their daily travels to and from work. Apparently it's, quote, the most dangerous stretch of highway in the state. And it's also called Suicide 7, uh, which does not bode well. And yet again, here's another read quote for you, Abigail. Two lanes, no dividers. I would imagine there's a lot of head-on collisions. Now Hodge thinks the unsub was involved in a crash involving a red car on Route 7. But Reed thinks that there's not something, that there's something wrong with the motivation versus what the profile is. The idea that he's avenging his own physical suffering speaks to a victim mentality which is inconsistent with the profile. And we get another profile. White male in his early 40s. The unsub is ex-military, most likely army or marines. They believe he is physically handicapped from an automobile accident that occurred along Route 7, where the unsub finds his victims. 
He is going after Red Coops because he holds the driver of a comparable vehicle responsible for his accident. And this person is the object of his rage, but unable to confront them, he's taking revenge against a surrogate. The BAU have the Bend PD go through accident reports over the past few years looking for accidents involving red coops. And they also ask them to reach out to rehab facilities where the the unsub may have gone to recover from his accident. As JJ gives a press conference, Gil Boner watches the conference at home with his wife and daughter. But his wife drops some random glass on the ground and she's like, oh, honey, I've got bare feet over here. Can you help? And he just goes, I think I have to leave. And she's like, "Okay, but can you just help me with the glass? And he just walks out the door and she's like, what's going on with you? He walks to his car and it's a fucking red coupe. So now we're like, oh, God, did Gil Boner cause the unsubs accident? So Gil turns turns himself into the BAU and tells them that the accident the unsub suffered was his fault. Right outside the cascades, my phone started vibrating. And when I went to reach for it, I knocked it off the far side of the seat and it fell down by the door. And I thought I could reach. You took your eyes off the road. Couldn't have been for more than a few seconds. But when I looked back up, there were lights and this horn was blaring. And I swerved at the last second, and then I just kept on going without a scratch. You'd gone into the oncoming lane? What happened to the other vehicle? That's the thing. It was in my rearview mirror, and then it was gone, vanished. And he says, it was the truck you're looking for. It's come back for revenge. However, there were no... Accident, like serious accident reports in December of 2007. So the BAU is doubting Gil's story, but he's like obviously going through it. Morgan and Prentice talk to Dr. Ridgeway at a rehab facility and they give him the profile and he tells them about Ian Coakley. September 28th, 2007, Ian and his wife Sheila were driving eastbound on Route 7 and their car was run off the road. Sheila died at the scene, but Ian survived. He fractured his T6 and T7 vertebra, so he's paraplegic. He also suffered amnesia, which explains why he can't remember the exact details of what happened during the accident. Um, they also learned he was a former light wheel mechanic. I don't, I don't know what that is, but in the Army National Guard. And apparently the patients at Dr. Ridgeway's rehab facility are encouraged to write and draw daily. And Ian spent all of his time drawing murder trucks. He also drew red cars, but like all different makes and models. And Dr. Ridgeway said when his memory came back, it was fluid. His mind was trying to find out the truth of what happened. Garcia looks at auto suppliers in Bend and finds one that Coakley has been using, and they do find his current address. They roll up at his, I'm not sure if it's a house. It it is a house, actually, because there's a garage, yeah. His residence. So they roll up at his new residence, but he's not there. However, in his garage, they find the discarded grills covered in blood of his victims. Uh, they also find a really big photo of the victims. I thought this was, was a little silly. Like, he took a bunch of stalker photos, but they're huge. Why did he print them? 
In the photos, there are pictures of the three victims, but there's also someone they don't recognize. Uh, but hopefully the person's license plate is included in the picture so they quickly find the next victim. His name is Garrett Burke, um, and he is biking away from his house. Uh, we see him bike onto the street, and he meets up with some other bikers, and we later learn that he's in a club. And I just want to specify that by biker, I mean cyclist, not motorcyclist. We see Ian Coakley in his truck, and he's, like, following right behind the cyclist. Hotch, Rossi, and Morgan show up at Garrett Burke's house, but he's biking, so they hurry after him in police cars. So it's Hotch and old man Quinn in one car and Morgan and Rossi in the other car. Meanwhile, back at Ian Coakley's house, JJ and Prentice are looking through his belongings. JJ actually goes through his digital camera, and I wrote, remember those? So my man took pictures on the digital camera and then like took the SIM card, put it in a computer and printed these huge photos out. And she notices that Coakley's deceased wife's car was a red coupe. And the accident report actually indicated that Coakley was driving his wife's car during the accident. So Coakley caused the accident himself because he fell asleep behind the wheel. But because of his amnesia, he doesn't remember. The unsub has almost caught up to Garrett Burke, but Hotch sees the unsub's car. So Hotch yeets his car at Coakley's car, and then both cars crash. That was ballsy as hell. This kind of works, but Hotch is fucked up, and so is the unsub. So Hotch can't do anything, but the unsub like is trying to reverse and get his car out of like whatever it's stuck in so he can go and follow Garrett Burke. Old man Quinn gets out of the car and he goes, you can't blame other people for what you've done, Coakley. And Hotch is like, detective, it's not going to it's not going to help. You can't blame other people for what you've done, Coakley. Detective. Detective! You know the truth. No one else needs to die. It's not gonna help! There was no other red car, was there? And Coakley's like, oh my god, there was no other red car. And he freaks out. And then he fucking drives away. Well, he tries to drive away, and old man starts fucking shooting at Coakley. And then Coakley fucking yeets out of there. Morgan and Rossi pursue him, but unfortunately Coakley literally runs his car off the side of the of a cliff and dies. And it's like a fucking Thelma and Louise moment where he's like hallucinating that he's like holding hands with his dead wife and it's super fucking sad. And again, it's fucking a veteran with mental illness. And I'm just like, my heart is fucking out there for this dude. And it's super sad. And we cut back to Bend headquarters and old man Quinn says, I haven't had my bell rung like that in a long time. And it's like, dude, you literally fucked up this investigation. Read the room. Well, I don't know about you, but I hadn't had my bell rung like that in a long time. No, I'm good, thanks. Impressive group you travel with. They are. You knew what I said to Coakley was going to set him off. Challenging a delusion like his can have unpredictable consequences. Like driving off a cliff. 
He made a choice. Well, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it if it's okay with you. And old man Quinn, like, says to Hotch, like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have, like, shot at him as he is a veteran. And I should not have, like, when you asked, when you told me not to say that to him, I shouldn't have done that. But whatever, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. And Hotch is like, you're right, man, super cool. And I'm like, what the fuck? A fucking veteran just died. Like, why are we acting like that? I'm sorry. It just fucking drives me crazy. JJ meets with Gil Boner, the man who thought he ran the red car off the road that night. And she tells him that she did some fact checking and found out that he did run someone off the road one night in November. But that man survived and had no injuries. His car was just fucked up. Bonner, Boner, whatever, will be held responsible for fleeing the scene and the damages to the person's car. But like she is like lifted the heavy weight off his heart, his heart. He didn't kill anyone. So he's he's a changed man. Back at BAU headquarters in Quantico, Virginia, Kevin tells Garcia that he didn't get the job. And Garcia says, only a fool would hire someone over you for that job. And Kevin goes, oh, no, they didn't hire anybody. The position just went away. Did you get the job? Oh, no. I'm sorry. Only a fool would hire somebody over you for that job. Oh, no, they didn't hire anybody. The position just went away. Went away? Yeah, apparently there was a security breach. Someone hacked the project database. The whole project was put on hold. Oh. Well, that over a little network hack. Well, you you can't be too careful. You know how that goes. Right. Well, it's probably a blessing in disguise. I mean, with your delicate stomach, you wouldn't have been able to stand the food in Karachi. I never told you that it was in Karachi. Didn't you? It's it's okay. I could not have gone without you. I couldn't have gone with you. This place is my home. (laughs) And then he says, it's okay. I could not have gone without you. And Garcia says, I couldn't have gone with you. This is my home. That made me actually so mad. Garcia just sabotaged your awesome career opportunity. That's fucking manipulative and controlling. I no, it's not just that, but it's like if my partner like intentionally sabotaged a like advantageous career move for me, I would have been pissed. Yeah, it's it's fucking shitty. Like it's a shitty thing to do to someone you supposedly love. And you have a deep dive for us. I have a bit of a deep dive. Um, basically, there is a documentary called Tread. It came out in 2019. It's directed by Paul Solet and it premiered at South by Southwest Film Festival and and also is on Netflix. Um, And it is about an American welder named Marvin Heemeyer, who basically went on this super violent rampage with a secretly fortified bulldozer made up of steel, concrete, and guns after feuding with members of the small town Granby, Colorado. 
Marvin John Hemeyer was a automobile muffler repair shop owner who demolished a bunch of buildings with this modified bulldozer in 2004. He had been fighting with Granby town officials, particularly over fines for violating city health ordinances after he purchased a property with no sewage system. He had incurred the fines for improperly dumping the sewage from his business instead of connecting it to the city sewer system. Over like 18 months, he secretly modified a Kamasu D355A bulldozer by adding layers of steel and concrete and intended to serve as armor. And basically it ended up with him going on this spree and demolishing the town hall, the mayor's house, and several other buildings. So basically the town was kind of owned, if I'm like, I haven't seen this in a minute, but like, if I'm remembering, like, they kind of did have it in for him. Like he he was not like born and raised there and he moved there. Um, and then there were like families who had been there for years and they, it was kind of like a political move where they bought, they, they owned the sewer line and they, they gave him a hard time because he had like a bad interaction with them. So instead of like giving him a reasonable, reasonable price to connect to the sewer line, they like said, you have to pay this ridiculous fee to connect to it. Um, And then he petitioned the town to be able to connect to a different sewer line, but the town said you can't do that. Yeah, so he was, like, very, like, not mentally well when all of this happened, but it is, like, eerily, like, similar to this episode. So I, I definitely recommend that, like, people check out Tread, and it is on Netflix. All right, y'all, I think we got to rate this episode. What do you think about the criminal slash serial killer? I feel sorry for him. I agree. I feel really bad for him. We really need to, A, treat our veterans better. And he's paraplegic. And I just don't like them being like, this paraplegic really mentally messed up person's a serial killer. Like... I really feel like it's on Dr. Ridgeway and the rehab facility because they actively saw these pictures that um, Ian Coakley was drawing of these murder vehicles and did nothing. They were like, ha ha, Ian, good job. What do you want to give him? 17, 18? Yeah, 17 sounds good. Character development. There wasn't really a whole lot of character development in this episode. Garcia. Oh, you're right. Sorry. I'm like, my brain is so zooted right now. I know. It's hour eight of your unsubs day. Also, I think what Garcia did was trash, and I don't think it's cute, and I think we should penalize her for it. I She's agree. my, let me just say, she is my favorite character. I love her to death, but this is really shitty. Yeah, that's really shady as hell. You want to give it a five? Yeah. Forensics and context. An object in motion stays in motion. Yeah, we could definitely penalize for that. I mean, like, it's not fair to say, like, oh, well, you're being chased down by, like, a fucking truck that you're going to, like, think straight. But, I mean, it was definitely, like, as a viewer, thrilling to watch. Like, it's exciting and, and you know, in a thriller way. Do you want to give it, like, a 10? 
Yeah, that's fine. Script writing? I I didn't really like have any issues with it. Yeah. I'm I'm really going to rail against one of the background characters, so I think we should give script writing like a 15. Sounds good. What's your railing? I hate old man Quinn. I think he's shitty and he doesn't learn his lesson. Every episode, there's like a kind of like a BAU liaison. They don't call it that, but like local detective or a police officer or a sergeant or a fire captain in charge. And usually they come into the episode being like, I don't know about these profiling things you're talking about. But by the end, they've come around or they've learned a lesson or they've interacted with a member of the team in a way where they've learned something. Old Man Quinn literally learns nothing, says, I realize I did something wrong, but I don't give a fuck, YOLO, and walks off. He learns nothing, and Hotch accepts it. I say give him a fucking five. Okay, so that brings us to a grand total of 52. gang thanks for listening abigail it's been eight hours almost nine how are you feeling i'm tired as hell all right well let's wrap it up you can follow us you know where to find us link in the bio but uh unsubs podcast everywhere and you can follow me yournewapartment.tumblr.com or my podcast your new apartment yeah, and you can follow me at Between Stage and Screen Podcast on all services and on Instagram. All right, peace out, y'all. Peace out.